Do you need help with your journey following Jesus? Has your Bible reading brought up some interesting questions? Um, I, I need a prayer request. Is I've heard um, pastors talk about you can't get to heaven just with good deeds. I was just wondering what you guys think. Is, the, is there a correlation between the seventh trumpet and Revelations as the last trumpet, or is he talking about some other trumpet? Finally, a place to get answers. We're ready to take your prayer request and answer your Bible questions. Call in at 303-690-3000. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon. Welcome to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. I am here with you today taking your calls and texts live on the air. This is the show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible. If there's something that's come up in your Bible reading that you have questions about or would like to discuss, we'd love to hear from you. And if you have a prayer request or something going on in your life that you'd like advice for, know what the Bible says about it, or uh, would just like the community of people listening all over the country to pray with you about, we would love to hear from you. The number is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. We want to say welcome to everybody who's listening uh, in Colorado and in southern Wyoming on Grace FM. So glad that you have joined us today. We also want to welcome everybody who is listening on the East Coast on Hope FM in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Maryland. Welcome to the program. We also want to greet everybody who is listening on Truth FM. We've been having more and more callers calling in from Tennessee and parts of North Carolina and Kentucky. We're so glad to be on the air over there as well and see how God will use this program in all these different areas. So uh, for those of you, just a reminder, listening on the East Coast and the area around Tennessee, you are hearing the program on a one-week delay, but we would love for you to call in. And then you'll be able to tune in the following week and listen to yourself on the radio over the airwaves. But so we also want to give a big hello to everybody who listens online. We know there's so many of you who tune, tune in via the mobile app. If you don't have that yet, do that. Go to uh, whatever mobile store you use, whether it's the Android one or the, the iTunes one. And you go there and you can download uh, the Grace FM mobile app and then you can listen over the internet, wherever you're at in the country or even in the world, you can listen to uh, the program there. We also want to say hello to everybody who listens over the website. We know there's so many of you who just go to gracefm.com and you tune in uh, in your browser. So welcome to the program, however you've tuned in today. The number to call again is 303-690-3000. 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. 720-336-0897, that's the text number. Uh, just a few words about myself. My name is Nick Cady. I'm the pastor of Whitefields Community Church, which is a Calvary Chapel-affiliated church in Longmont, Colorado. We're a church that loves Jesus, and we love to study the Bible. We study, the, study through books of the Bible generally, and uh, this past Sunday we just started studying through Romans, something I'm really excited about. But uh, hey, if you are in the Longmont area, we would love to have you join us. So whether you're in Longmont itself or to the east out in the Carbon Valley, Frederick, Firestone, Decono area, or down in Erie, Lafayette, um, North Boulder, Lyons, and, or even up into Berthoud, Mead. Uh, come join us for worship at Whitefields on a Sunday morning. We meet at 10 a.m. in the St. Vrain Memorial Building, which is a historic building in downtown Longmont. We are one block west of Main Street on I'm sorry, one block west of Main Street on Longs Peak Avenue. 
So Long's Peak and Kaufman is basically where we're at in downtown Longmont, right on the southeast corner of Roosevelt Parks. So the address is 700 Long's Peak Avenue. It's the St. Vrain Memorial Building. And we meet there on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. for worship and Bible study and fellowship. And uh, we have a great children's ministry, so you can bring the whole family. For our, those of you who'd like to check us out online, you can listen to all our messages, find out what's new in our church. The website is whitefieldschurch.com. That's whitefieldschurch.com. And you can also hear me here on Grace FM every weekday at 2.30 p.m. We have a show that airs every weekday at 2.30 and Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We're also on. Hopefully you're in church at that time, but I know that uh, there's different reasons why some people are not. But if you are not and uh, you tune in at 10 a.m. on a Sunday morning uh, to hear the word over the radio, you will hear me on there and every weekday at 2.30. So just uh, as I said before, we just started studying Romans at our church this past Sunday. We we started a new series, one I'm really excited about, and we studied about the introduction to Romans where Paul introduces us to the life-changing power of the gospel. And he says there in uh, Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 16, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, for faith, as is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And so we get this great message that the gospel is not good advice. It is good news about what God has done for us in Christ and how in the gospel we have salvation because God has given us his righteousness as a gift that we receive by faith. And then we walk in faith in response to it. So just an amazing message. This coming Sunday, we'll talk about the next section in which he talks about the wrath of God is an interesting topic and uh, it's one that you know some people shy away from or they're hesitant about. But we'll see that it's only on the backdrop of the darkness of reality that we can see the brilliance of the gospel. So that's what we're going to be studying at Whitefields this coming Sunday. I'm really excited about this study through Romans. Let's go to our call in line. We've got Amanda in Wellington, Colorado. Hey, Amanda. Hello. Um, my question was, do do we have any choice in accepting Christ? Um, there's been a little bit of a debate in our church, and um, and I just wanted to know, do we have to say yes, or is it God just chooses us and we have no will in that? Uh, yeah, it's a great question. It's one that's debated, uh, and it's been debated for a long time. In fact, I was just reading about this, that 500 years ago, it's now the 500-year anniversary of something called the Synod of Dort. And the Synod of Dort was a synod in which they debated kind of contrasting views on this. And it was 500 years ago during the Reformation. The kind of contrasting views were still present at that time. So this is definitely not a new question. It's something that uh, you know has been written on over the last 2,000 years, um, and people kind of debate back and forth over how it is. I'll tell you, here's the answer to your question. Do we have any choice in accepting Christ? The answer is absolutely yes. Are we, are we chosen by Christ? The answer is absolutely yes. And that's what's really hard for a lot of people, a lot of us to wrap our heads around, is that the answer to both questions is yes at the same time. And for us, it can kind of seem like two kind of like train tracks. If you look at train tracks and you stand on train tracks and look at them as they go out over the horizon, you can see that in your eyes view, up at some point way on the horizon, they appear to meet. But yet, if you keep walking along them, they never seem to to come together, right? And that's kind of how Mm -hmm. this is, is that 
the Bible tells us that both of these things are true. You know, I would, I would show you like Ephesians chapter 1 where it talks about how God has predestined us to be his children. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I mean, that's clearly in the Bible. To take that out of the Bible is, is really just to go against what the Bible says, right? So here's what it says in, in Ephesians chapter 1. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. So the question is, does God predestine us? Does he choose us? The answer is, yes, he does. Now, on the other hand, does that mean that we don't have a choice? No. Well, actually says that we, we must make a choice. Now, to give you just a, one more perspective here, where people, so nobody really disagrees with the fact that we have a choice. All Christians agree with that, even those who are really strong on the, let's say, predestination or God choosing us side. They still say that you have to choose Jesus. The difference is that they would say that because God chose you first, therefore you will choose him. And so that's really, so nobody disagrees on the fact that, yes, absolutely, we have to choose Jesus. It's just um, that's where the debate goes is, okay, well, did you only choose him because he predestined you? And then it goes to the other question of, well, did he then predestine you because he knew that you were going to choose him? That's where a lot of people go with this, where they say, they use the word foreknowledge, right? The Bible also uses that. He predestined us according to his foreknowledge. And so what they'll say is that, um, the reason he chose us is because he knew that we were going to choose him. Now, to me, I, I think that's a little bit of strange logic there, that he only chose us because he knew that we were going to choose him. Um, I think it, Jesus makes it clear that no one can come to the Father unless he is drawn by the Son. Now, the, the gets to the issue of, I think the real issue in this is one of time, that we experience time linearly. Like we experience one event coming after the other, kind of like if you were standing on a street and watching a parade go by the street, you see one float, one event happen at a time. But now just imagine that you were standing above that. Let's say you're in a a helicopter or you're in a drone or in a blimp or something, and you would be able to actually see the whole thing at one time. Now, that's not a perfect analogy, but I think it speaks to the fact of different perspectives on time. And we must understand the fact that we are inside of time. That's how we experience things. That's the only way that we know how to think. But God, on the other hand, is outside of time. And so for God, it's not, uh, for us, it seems, well, how can these two things be true? Because we're thinking so linearly. And it's the only way that we know how to think. Right? Did, did he choose me first or did I choose him first? And the Bible says, well, he chose you, but you still have to choose him. And you say, well, okay, well, how does that work? Well, again, it's because we think so linearly, it's hard for us to get outside of that. So I guess I just want to say this. The most biblical answer I can give you is this. Do we have a choice in accepting Christ? Yes, absolutely. Every person must choose for themselves whether they will um, reject Christ or whether they will accept Christ. Now, a separate question. Does God choose some people to be his own and draw them to himself? The answer biblically is yes, absolutely. And so those two things are true at the same time. And one of the things that uh, we must do is say, okay, well, what does the Bible say? And then we believe it, right? So that's what the Bible Mm -hmm. says. Now, when we have trouble believing that, that's where um, this guy is a very famous guy in history. His name was Anselm. And Anselm had this 
maxim or the saying that he used to say, where he used to say that here's what theology is. It's faith seeking understanding. And I think that's really important in the case like this, where we say, okay, I see what the Bible says, and I choose to believe it, and then what I do after that is I seek to understand it. And so I think that's, that's where we must go. So I really am a strong adherent of this idea that it's not either or, it's both and. And I think mm -hmm. that if you diminish either one of those, you're going away from what the Bible teaches. Um, with that, because uh, I believe that you have to say yes, and, and we're going somewhere where uh, they don't believe that. They think mm -hmm. it's, um, that is incorrect. And we've been kind of wrestling um, with this. If, is this just a minor issue, um, or is this something where it's more foundational, where we should prayerfully um, consider going somewhere else? I don't know if this would be considered a minor issue or more foundational. Yeah, I do think it's a foundational issue, but I'm not sure it's one which is worth um, leaving the church over. Okay. You know, I guess I would encourage you to pray over that and decide what you think. Like I said, I, I think it's both. And, and I would actually say that just knowing that perspective pretty well, I would say that probably they would agree that you have to say, yes, the difference in your theology would probably come in the point of, they would say, well, the reason you say yes is because you were already chosen. In fact, they might even go so far as to say that God saves you and regenerates you, and that's first prior to you even having faith and that's what enables you to have faith and that that is a big distinction you know it's a, a and it's um it's you know it's a historic view but so is so is the other view and so i would say i i think probably you can uh, you can go there and not have to make that uh, an issue that causes you to go somewhere else but again, I would just encourage you to pray about that and see what you're comfortable with. You know, it is something that will shape many other views that they have. Um, but, but again, I don't think, like I said, for me, I think that to be biblical is to hold both of those views in tension and, and let the tension mm -hmm. exist because both things are taught in the Bible. Well, thank you very much. You answered my question. Okay, awesome. God bless you, Amanda. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts on the air today. The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. Hey, just this past weekend, um, we took a group from our church, Whitefields. We drove down to the Denver Museum of Nature and Science, and we saw the Dead Sea Scrolls exhibit. I know that many of you uh, callers have seen it too. We've had a few calls about people uh, asking about it and things like that. So we took a group from our church down there. We rented out, like we reserved the entire, you know, you can reserve an entire block of tickets. They sell them in like 15-minute increments. So we reserved an entire block of tickets. We took a group from our church down there. And it was uh, very interesting, you know, a very, very good exhibit that they have down at the museum. And it was really cool to see, you know, these 2,000, 2,100-year-old documents um, from the Bible. 
And my, one, maybe my favorite part was that they have um, an excerpt right now from Psalm 121 that you can look at and you can actually see the name of God, the Tetragrammaton, you know, Yahweh. You can see it written there and they write it in a special uh, text and it was really cool. Um, maybe some, just uh, so those of you know, the, if, uh, the exhibition's going on at Denver Museum of Nature and Science until September 3rd. So I would encourage, you know, everybody to go down and see it. This is really one of the greatest um, findings. And it's really important for Christians. So I just take a few minutes while we're waiting for our calls to come in about why the Dead Sea Scrolls matter for Christians. Um, they have been called the greatest uh, archaeological discovery in modern times, and it's also something that has changed New Testament scholarship. So I think that's a lot of things that sometimes Christians don't understand. Is okay, I, I understand the Dead Sea Scrolls are cool and all, but why does it matter for me as a Christian? What does it speak to my faith? And, it, and so just to answer that question, uh, number one, the Dead Sea Scrolls matter for um, Christians because they verify that the Bible is reliable and that it hasn't changed over time. Now, just to be clear, they are all from the Old Testament, but that's also very important because, um, you know, the Dead Sea Scrolls are hundreds of years older than the previously known oldest manuscripts. And what they prove is that the Old Testament text was faithfully preserved over the centuries and that the Hebrew text translated for modern Christians accurately represents the Bible that Jesus read and the Bible as it was originally written. And there's one very interesting thing I found is that in at least one instance, the Dead Sea Scroll helped to solve a mystery which, uh, had, which has theological implications or theological significance regarding Jesus. And that is Psalm 22, verse 16. So the majority of the Old Testament documents found in the Dead Sea Scrolls, um, they were from the Psalms and from Isaiah. And there are copies of all the biblical books except for the book of Esther. So you have almost a complete Old Testament uh, in them. But specifically, there were a lot of copies of the Psalms and Isaiah. So Psalm 22, verse 16 says this. It says, A company of evildoers encircles me, and they have pierced my hands and feet. Now, Christians always considered Psalm 22 and that verse in particular to be a prophecy about Jesus' crucifixion. And what makes it really interesting and incredible is that that psalm was written hundreds of years before crucifixion was even invented by the Romans. And yet it describes crucifixion, somebody being encircled and having their hands and feet pierced as they would in a crucifixion. Now, what's What's interesting, though, is that that text was disputed because in what's called the Masoretic text, which is the Hebrew Old Testament that was used during the Middle Ages, which previous to the, the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls, that was the oldest, um, oldest documents that they had. And those documents, the Masoretic text, did not, tra or did not say, they have pierced my hands and feet. What it said is, my feet are like a lion's hands and feet. Now, that's pretty different. And so people wondered, okay, well, you know, what is this? Is this a, you know, prophecy about Jesus? Because if it was, it would be pretty incredible. But uh, the Masoretic text seems to say, uh, yeah, it's, it says something different. And what they discovered when they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, they found all these copies of the Psalms. And they were able to go and look at Psalm 22, verse 16. And what they found is, yes, the oldest documents all say this. They have pierced my hands and feet. And so it shows that this was a true prophecy about Jesus written hundreds of years before Jesus lived and was crucified. And even written before crucifixion was even a thing. 
like before it was invented. So that's pretty cool. The other thing that's really cool about the Dead Sea Scrolls is that they give us insight into Jewish culture at the time of Jesus. So before the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls, the kind of historical veracity of the New Testament was sometimes called into question. So people, you know, said, oh, you know, the the New Testament describes this whole world of first century um, Judaism in Israel where you've got these Pharisees and preachers like John the Baptist and people who are living and waiting and expecting the Messiah. And they said, no, that's not really true. That's just made up. And the you know the New Testament's kind of a fictional story. It really wasn't like that. Well, what happened when they discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls is that they were actually able to confirm that the New Testament accurately described the culture and the history of first century Israel because all the documents they found, they weren't all just copies of the Bible. A lot of them were other writings about their expectations, the expectations of these people about the Messiah and about doing things like baptism, like um, John the Baptist baptizing people and things like that. Another really cool thing is that the, the Dead Sea Scrolls were written in three different languages. They were written in Hebrew. So some of the scrolls were in Hebrew, some were in Aramaic, and some were in Greek. And so that shows us, that confirms to us the fact that Jews at the time of Jesus did speak Greek and that they wrote Greek. And, you know, one of the questions I'm sometimes asked on here, here on the show is, why is it that the New Testament books are written in Greek if they were written by Jewish people who spoke Hebrew and Aramaic? Why would they write in Greek? And we've answered that question before. And the answer that we give is, is this, that these were people who had been given a mandate by Jesus. Right? They had been given a call by Jesus to go into all the world and spread the good news of who Jesus was and to teach everybody his teachings and make disciples of him. And so Greek was the language that everybody spoke. You know, It was only a handful of people in a, in a geographically small region who could speak Hebrew and Aramaic. And so it wouldn't make sense for them to write in those languages. They would limit the number of people they could reach. And so instead they wrote in Greek, which was the well-known trade language of that of that time. Everybody in the empire could speak Greek. And so they wrote in that language for evangelistic purposes so that Greek-speaking people, Christians, in other parts of the empire would be able to read their letters. And so that that's the reason for that. But what the Dead Sea Scrolls confirmed is that some people doubted whether or not Jewish people actually could speak Greek. And this confirmed that they could because they had written in Greek. So it just confirms the fact that we can indeed trust uh, the Bible and what it says, both in the New Testament and the Old Testament. And uh, that's the long and short of it, that we can trust that as the more and more archaeological finds come out, the Bible just proves to be more and more accurate and more trustworthy. So um, really cool stuff. Go check that out at the museum if you get the opportunity. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady with, uh, Whitefields commu- from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Taking your calls and texts on the air today. We have all open lines right now. It's a good time to call in. The number is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. And you can text us at 720-336-0897. 720-336-0897. Let's go to our text line. We have one texture who says, The Bible talks about humility, but what's the difference between being passive and being humble? So that's a great question. I think that we need to really define what humility is because I think a lot of people in our society have kind of a misunderstanding or misconception about what 
humility actually means. Um, I don't think that humility means thinking down on yourself or thinking less of yourself. I think that's sometimes how people um, think of it, right? Like to be humble means that you think, man, I'm just a loser and nobody loves me and uh, nobody should love me because I'm just such a piece of trash, right? And I don't think that that is humility at all. I think actually, first of all, that's not biblical humility. But secondly, I don't even think that counts as humility. And here's why. Because humility is, uh, put it this way, when you're thinking about yourself that way, guess who's at the center of those thoughts? It's still you, right? You're thinking about, I deserve to be treated better or I don't deserve to be treated better, but you're still thinking about yourself. And it's been said very well that humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking of yourself less. It, it means to understand who you truly are. Now, if you think about that from a biblical perspective, uh, who you truly are, that will do two things. First of all, it will um, give you a proper understanding of yourself. And secondly, it can also fill you with a great sense of confidence. And so that's why I don't believe that humility and passivity are equal. And um, so humility means understanding who I am. So from a biblical perspective, who am I? I am a sinner who has been saved by grace. I'm a person who is uh, saved by grace. But on the other hand, I am a saint. That's what we read in uh, I said we started studying Romans this past Sunday, and Paul makes that clear. He, he goes in this whole thing about how, as human beings, we are sinners. As Christians, we are sinners who are saved by grace. So we shouldn't think too highly of ourselves, like in the sense of thinking that we are better than other people. But yet we should think highly of ourselves because we have been highly regarded by our God. And that's what he says in verse 6. Um, he says, verse 6 and 7, he says, he's writing to you, who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. And verse 7, to those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Now, I was just thinking about that. You know, I grew up uh, going to Catholic church, and in Catholic church, they have a big, you know, saints are a big deal. Now, our church was named after a saint, and, you know, they have pictures of saints and statues of saints. But for the... Uh, for, for that kind of thinking, the way they think about saints, the way they define it is it's a person who lived in the past and there's certain criteria that you have to reach in order to be, a, be named a saint, right? But they're all people who lived in the past and are now dead and they lived exemplary lives and they had to perform a miracle during their life. So those are a few of them. Okay, so let's think about that. He says, no, I'm writing to you people who are now saints. I mean, they're not, they didn't live a long time ago. Probably some of them aren't living exemplary lives and they, who knows if they've you know, done any miracles or not. And yet Paul says, you are saints now. And what he's speaking of there is just this simple fact that the word saint, by the way, means a holy person. And so Paul's saying, you are holy people. How is that possible that we are holy people? Well, the reason is he goes down and says in verse 16 of Romans chapter 1 and verse 17, the reason you're holy, the reason you're righteous is not because of your own achievement, but because God has credited his righteousness, his holiness to you. That's the message of the gospel. That's the grace that he has given you. And and so what that means is that we have been highly regarded by God. So on the one hand, we shouldn't think more of ourselves than other people. We should have a humble view of ourselves when it comes to who we are as sinners. But yet, on the other hand, we should be incredibly confident because of who we are uh, in Christ and who we, how we have been regarded by God and given this high regard by God. And so 
I always put it this way. When you really understand the gospel, it fills you with, number one, humility, because you realize that you're no better than anyone else. You're a sinner who's been saved by grace, who could, couldn't save yourself. And secondly, though, it fills you with confidence because it tells you that God loves you this much and he has regarded you this highly. And not only that, he's given you his Holy Spirit. So you should have confidence as you approach God, as you do things in God's name. One of my favorites is uh, I love this story from First Samuel where we see Jonathan, the, uh, the heir apparent to King Saul and the best friend of David, who's the man after God's own heart. And Jonathan says to his uh, armor bearer at one point, there are all these Philistines, and he says, why don't we just go for it, man? Let me, let's just see what God will do. Let's just go up there and we'll, we'll see if God might do something amazing today. And that's not passivity. That's boldness. That's activity. And I think that's what we're called to. You know, see Jesus saying, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me and now I send you. That shouldn't fill us with passivity. That should fill us with activity and boldness. So thanks for the question. You are listening to Calvary Live. We are going to a two-minute break and we'll be back right on the other side. Welcome back to Calvary Live. Give us a call at 303-690-3000 or text us at 720-336-0897. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon. Welcome back to Calvary Live for the second part of our show. My name is Pastor Nick Cady. I'm the pastor of Calvary, I'm sorry, of Pastor of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. And I'm here with you taking your calls and texts on the air today. We've got one open line right now, and the number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. Hey, while I've got you here, I want to invite those of you who are in the Longmont, Colorado area to join us at Whitefields. Community Church um, on Sunday mornings for worship. If you're looking for a place to worship and you're in the Longmont area, come visit us at Whitefields. We'd love to have you. Our church is located at 700 Longs Peak Avenue in downtown Longmont, right on the corner of Longs Peak and Kaufman Streets. And our website is whitefieldschurch.com. So you can find service times, you can find directions, you can listen to our previous messages, all that good stuff at whitefieldschurch.com. Let's go back to our call in line. We've got Byron in Colorado Springs. Hey, Byron, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks, Nick. I just uh, had a, a, a thought about the gal that called in earlier asking, is it, you know, predestination or free will? And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm aware that the, that the argument has been going on and, and studied and discussed for, you know, just forever. Um, but I had a really simple thought about it from a general sense. And um, I, I think that... that you know, first of all, that there's there might be two different ways to, to see it or two different instances of it uh, scripturally. One where we see clearly God calling out specific people uh, for specific tasks, and I think that's one thing. Um, but the, the Bible says that he, he would that all men. Um, and so, in a way, um, if, if the predestination, if the preordination, if the writing in the book... Uh, of all men, um, then 
then, then it would be that he would predestine all men, and then men would make a choice, you know, we, mankind, would make a choice to accept or reject that call. And um, I don't know the exact address, but it does say that, that, you know, you don't want to have your name blotted out of the Book of Life. So if he predestined yeah, all men, he wrote, it doesn't say that. It does say that in Revelation. He says, well, he says those, uh, yeah, have your name blotted out of the Book of Life, yeah. Yeah, so, so if you would that all men, and he wrote all men in, ordained, all men, uh, it wrote them into the Book of Life, and then as we chose to be against God, we reject his free gift of, of salvation, he blots our name, what a horrible thought, he blots our name out of the Book of Life, then we would be predestined and yet have free will. Yeah, I mean, I'm familiar with that. I'm familiar with that argument. Yeah, right. Yes, I'm, I'm familiar with that argument. I, uh, I, I mean, I, I know that's definitely held by many people. Um, I, I would say this that the Bible, interestingly, and you know, this might support your line of thinking as well. But uh, the Bible, interestingly, doesn't talk about people being um, predestined to wrath. It speaks of people being predestined to belong to Christ, and so yeah. um, that that is the big question: uh, is is are we making a non-biblical jump by the conclusion then that because some people are destined to belong to Christ, that other people are predestined to wrath? That is really what the argument yeah. comes down to, and um, and again, my my purpose, my goal is always to be biblical. Like, hey, let's look at what yeah. the Bible says. And where we might have trouble wrapping our minds around it, let's just embrace the tension, but let's stick with what yeah. the Bible says, right? And so, uh, yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. I love, I love the thought that you gave on, you know, theology is, is the, the process of just trying to come to understand what we just believe by faith. Yes. You know? and, yeah. and, I, and I, I love that thought process. Anyway, I didn't. I didn't mean to stir pot. I didn't realize it was a study that, that uh, uh, people that actually believe that way. It just kind of was rolling in my head as I was thinking about it, and I thought, well, maybe that's. You know, it's probably too simple. But anyway, um, you know, well, actually, I, I it's a the pretty. Says we have both, and therefore yeah. we, we have both, and that's the end of it. <laughs> Yeah, it's a pretty widespread thought. It's a way that people have grappled with uh, this concept before. So, yeah. All right. Well, I appreciate it. God bless you, and uh, God, God bless what you guys are doing. I, I love hearing the Word and, uh, um, you know, struggling over some of these difficult concepts is good because it drives us back to the Word and to our knees to, to ask God, you know, what do you want us to do with <laughs> our lack of understanding? Yeah. So I think that's good. No, I agree with you. That is one of the benefits, and that's what I would hope that everybody takes away from this is, you know what, let's let's go back to the Word. Let's see what it says, and um, and let's take it at, at what it says. rather, You know, because that can be one of the things that happens to us is that we decide, well, here's, here's the way it should work, so therefore I kind of need to bend things and, you know, force things into this mold that I've created. And I think that we're much better off if we just say, Okay, here's what it says, and somehow this is true and this is true at the same time, and um, and if yeah, and if there's a tension between that, then man, I, I wonder how that's going to work out. But I can believe the same things at the same time. Uh, you know, one of the things I think that this is similar to is I think that if you look at how the um, 
in the Old Testament, when they were expecting the Messiah, there were all these kind of conflicting statements that seemed conflicting, but in the end they weren't, right? Because, okay, so I'll give you a couple examples. We have these things which appear to be contradictions almost. So for one of the big ones is the idea of mercy and the idea of judgment, right? Because judgment, if we were to define it, we would define it as judgment is giving someone what they deserve for what they've done. But mercy if we were to find that, would be not giving someone the punishment that they deserve for what they've done. And so, well, if justice is giving someone the punishment they deserve and mercy is not giving someone the punishment they deserve, those things seem to be complete opposites. And yet God says that it is his glory that he is. You know, when God introduced himself to Moses, he says, the Lord, the Lord, you know, and he introduced himself as a God who is merciful and a God who is just at the same time. And that's part of his glory. And people looked at that and they said, wow, how can that be? And there were all these different concepts about it that the Jewish people came up with in their rabbinical writings later on. It's that, oh, well, well, maybe, you know, there is uh, some had even gone, you know, which I think is a heretical move, but they had gone beyond just saying there's one God. They said, well, there must be two gods. There's a God who is merciful and and gracious. And then there's another God who is righteous and just and brings judgment. Now, that's not what the Bible says, but they were trying to make sense, sense of it. And here's the other, another big one was with the Messiah. You know, you have this uh, concept of the Messiah, like it says in some parts that he's going to be a, a suffering person who comes and he bears the judgment for the people in order to take the punishment for their iniquities. And yet then it also says that he's going to be this reigning king who reigns forever. And they looked at that. That's also a very interesting thing about the Dead Sea Scrolls that I was talking about earlier, is that one of the things that you learn from the Dead Sea Scrolls is that the people who wrote them, they're called the Essenes. And they expected there to be actually two messiahs because they just couldn't make sense of how it is that the Bible describes the messiah as someone who is, sacrifices his life and as someone who reigns and is victorious forever. And they said, well, then that must be two different people. So there must be two messiahs. Now, of course, there weren't two messiahs, and justice and mercy aren't necessarily opposed as long as we understand how the gospel works, right? That God takes the judgment upon himself so that he can give mercy. So justice is satisfied and mercy is given without either being um, contradicted. And we see like with the messiah, right? Like, well, both of those things did come to fruition in one person, Jesus Christ. And so I think that's how this, this issue is too. We look at this and we say, I just don't see how those two things fit together. They seem to be, it seems like it can only be one or the other. And yet the Bible says it's both. And so I think that the best thing for us to do is say, okay, I believe it. It, it must be that way. And somehow, someday... I will uh, understand when I see things clearly when I when I get there and I get his perspective. Yeah. So uh, he's an awesome God, and you know, and I and I I, I I love these things that draw us back to the Word and back to studying and back to our knees to pray and to ask him. You know, do, do you want me to invest more time on this or get busy doing something else? You know, and and. Uh, but uh, anyway, I I appreciate your perspective. It's really interesting to hear. The, the struggle, I, I never understood that there was a struggle uh, between mercy and judgment, mm. you know, because I get to live now, yeah. you know, with, with the New Testament. I have, the, I have the New Testament, so I get to read yeah. that, and, and it 
seems clear, but I, it, it would make a lot of sense that that this would be an issue that would be like that, and yeah. uh, it burn a lot of time trying to trying to solve it. Yeah, Byron, I'm going to let you go, but thank you for calling in. God bless you. you. All right, bye-bye. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church. Hey, we have two open lines right now. It's a perfect time to call in. We'll get you on the air real quickly. The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. You can also text us at 720-336-0897. Let's go to Ryan on line one. Hey, Ryan, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Hey, Ryan, how are you? Good. Awesome. What's up? Uh, just on, just, uh, talking. Did you have a question? Uh Uh-huh. My question is, uh, can you give me a little bit of some tips about hearing God? Because uh, I already started praying about it, I, and I'm thinking that I, well, I'm knowing that I'm making up voices because I can hear it coming out of my mouth, and my mouth is moving, too. So I mm. know that I'm actually saying those voices and whispers. Well, that's a great question, Ryan, because, you know, I, I understand what you're saying is that you don't want to just hear your own voice, but you want to yeah. hear God's voice. And I think that's really really cool and i really want to commend you for that and tell you that that is a great thing that you don't just want to tell yourself what you want to hear but you want to hear what god has to say that is awesome so good on you for that and here's what i would tell you the best place fail proof foolproof way to hear god's voice is in the word of god the bible and so i want to encourage you um, to read the bible to listen to Bible teachings. It sounds, you probably go to church. Do you guys go to church? Yeah, I go to Calvary, and also I listen to the Bible before I go to bed sometimes. Oh, that's awesome. And I would just encourage you, when you're listening to the Bible or reading the Bible, to listen to it and read it and understand it as God's message to you. It's First of all, it's his message of how much he loves you. Secondly, it's also his message of what he is calling you to do as his child. And so I encourage you to really uh, study, read, listen to the word of God if you want to hear the voice of God. And when it comes to something specific in your life, pray about that. But another way you can do that is you can ask other people. And I think that's one of the real benefits of being part of a church and having Christian friends and family is you can say, hey, I want to know what is God's will about this issue or about this thing in my life? And then you can ask them and maybe they know uh, what the Bible says on that or maybe they can join you in praying for that. And that way you can be sure that it's not just you hearing your own voice, but you actually getting God's voice. Yeah, my parents have been uh, praying for me and I've been reading the Bible and I've been talking about this with my parents. That's awesome. That's awesome. Can I pray for you before you go? Okay. All right. Heavenly Father, we pray for Ryan. Thank you, Lord, that he has a desire to hear your voice. And Lord, I pray that he would hear your voice. I pray that you would speak to him through your word. Lord, I pray you'd speak to him through other Christians, through his parents, through his uh, Bible teachers at church, through um, Christian friends and family. Lord, I pray that he would hear your voice and that he would be able to discern your will 
from just his own voices and his own thoughts. And uh, Lord, what a noble, what a noble desire. And so Lord, I pray for other people too who are listening and who want to hear your voice. Lord, I pray that you would make it clear to them and that they would truly differentiate your voice from every other voice that they hear. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, okay, Ryan. Hey, thank you for calling in. God bless you. Bye-bye. Thank you. All right, you know, just one more thought as Ryan goes is that, um, you know, Jesus said in John 10, he said he's the good shepherd and the, the sheep hear his voice. They recognize his voice and they will recognize his voice over the voice of another. And so that's one of those things that as you get to know the voice of Jesus, it makes it easier and easier for you to differentiate the voice of the Lord from the voice of another. Uh, the number to call is 303-690-3000. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts on the air today. The number to call again is 303-690-3000. We have all open lines right now. 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. That's 720-336-0897. Just back to that idea of John chapter 10 and hearing the voice of the Lord um, and he says, you know, I'm the good shepherd. My sheep know my voice. And they won't follow the voice of another. They'll follow the voice of the shepherd. Now, not only is that something that's true in nature, I think that's true for us, you know, in many different ways. You know, this analogy is sometimes pointed to that the way that they teach bank tellers to find counterfeits is not by teaching them a lot about counterfeits. It's by teaching them to handle money and to get the feel of it and to become so familiar with the real thing that when they do encounter something else, they are automatically able to discern, hey, this isn't the real thing. This is something else. And um, and I think that's that's really true. Another thing, you know, here at Whitefields, we just introduced this uh, community group program that we've been doing um, recently. And so I'm in one of the community groups as well. In our community group, we had dinner this past Friday. And at dinner, one of our discussion questions was, how can you tell the voice of the Lord from say voices in your head that might tell you things and one of the one of the answers you know going off of John 10 and some other passages that we came to was that you know when you get to condemnation condemnation is something when you hear voices of condemnation condemnation is something that pushes you away from the Lord whereas conviction comes from the Holy Spirit and brings you to the Lord where you can receive um, you can receive grace and mercy in time of need. So that's another big one is like, where is that voice pointing you? You know, if you want to tell the difference, is this from the Lord? Well, where is that voice? Where is that advice pointing you? Is it pointing you away from the Lord or is it pointing you to the Lord uh, to be restored to him or to be alienated from him? That should be a great litmus test for you to tell the difference. Um, the number to call is 303-690-3000. It's 303-690-3000, or you can text us at 720-336-0897. Let's go back to a text line. Uh, we have one texter asking, if Jesus is the Son of God, then why does he call himself the Son of Man? It's a great question. Uh, you know, it's something I, w I was confused about at certain times. Like, why doesn't he just call himself the Son of God? There's a few answers to that. Number one, there are absolutely times when Jesus refers to himself as the Son of God. So, uh, but then the question is, then why does he refer to himself as the Son of Man? That seems confusing. So, actually, that term Son of Man, it's used 88 times in the New Testament. Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man 
actually more times than he refers to himself as the Son of God. And um, so why is that? Why did Jesus prefer the term Son of Man over Son of God? Um, here are a few thoughts. First of all, Son of Man is a messianic title from the Old Testament. It's a messianic title from the Old Testament. So the title Son of Man was a reference uh, to a prophecy found in Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. So um, let me read that to you. Daniel, 13, Daniel 7, 13 and 14. Daniel says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So you can see clearly from the second part there, this is talking about the Messiah. That's the same language that's used in other parts of the Bible to describe the Messiah who will come. You know, in Isaiah, say in Second Samuel, it talks about an everlasting king, an eternal king who will reign over an everlasting kingdom and have dominion over the whole earth. That's what the, the description of Messiah is. And then it says that he is the son of man and he came to the ancient of days. So this tells us a couple things that were really um, really important. Okay, so first of all, the description of Son of Man um, not only matches the descriptions from elsewhere, but here's what's really interesting. It describes, so for those people who say, where is the Trinity in the Bible? Well, here, here's an example of Trinitarian theology, at least in the sense of that, that Jesus or the Messiah is God and man at the same time. So it says that this Son of Man is exalted. It's a divine person, someone from heaven and yet this person is distinct from this other person called the Ancient of Days, which is God the Father, as he's also called elsewhere. So we see God the Son uh, being eternal and exalted, and then we see God the Father being eternal and exalted, and the two of them being yet distinct. And so that would fit with what we know that the Bible teaches on the topic of the Trinity. So the Son of Man, according to this prophecy, is both human and and exalted and divine. So he does the work which only God can do, which indicates that he is God, and yet he's distinct from the ancient of days. And so um, that's really important. And so the Son of Man speaks of Jesus' humanity, and it also speaks of Jesus' deity. So that's that's why he Jesus used that term. So, you know, it's really important in the Gospels that the Gospels want to make it clear that Jesus was a flesh and blood human being. Now, one of the people asked, why is that so important that we know that? Well, Jesus had to be a human so that he could live the life that we should have lived and die the death that we should have died in our place. So in order for him to be a true substitute, he had to be truly human. And yet in order for him to do the things he did, to be the one who could take the judgment and yet defeat death, he had to be God. So that's really what is wrapped up. There's so much wrapped up in that those three words, son of man. There's a prophetic meaning, and then there is this this implication that Jesus is human and God at the same time. So that's that's pretty interesting. Another thing about it is to remember this, that the name Son of Man probably actually had more significance in the Jewish context of that day than the term Son of God. So for the Jewish mind, the term Son of God um, could have been used to refer to any person without really you know, turning any heads. Right, and here's one example, like Psalm 82, verse 6 says, You are all sons of the Most High. So if you were to come along and say, Hey, I'm a son of God, nobody would be surprised. Like, they'd be like, Yeah, me too. What's new? 
But to say that you're the son of man for the Jewish people, their minds would immediately race back to Daniel chapter 7 and they would be like, wait a second, are you saying what I think you're saying? Are you trying to tell me that you are the divine Messiah, the one who is both God and man at the same time and who will reign over an eternal kingdom because you are an eternal king? That's what Jesus was saying. And that's why, uh, like for example, in Mark's gospel, we read about Jesus talking to the high priest. And here's what it says, Mark's chapter 14. The high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the living God? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Now, check out how the high priest responds. Well, first, let me remind you what he said. He said, Are you the Christ, the Son of the living God? So here's the word, Son of God. Are you the Son of God? Jesus said, I am the Son of God. And then he says, And you will see the Son of Man there's that second phrase, seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Now, remember how that's, that's exactly what Daniel 7 describes, that the Son of Man approaches the Ancient of Days and then he comes with the clouds of heaven and does what? He, he rules and reigns. And how does the high priest respond to this? In Mark uh, 14, he says this. Well, the verse says this. It says, The high priest tore his garments and said, What further witness do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they condemned him deserving death. So Jesus said there, he is the son of God. He, he identified himself as the son of man, meaning that he connected himself with the imagery from Daniel chapter 7. And then he understood that, uh, that while well, the Jewish people understood this, they understood that it was a claim to deity, which is why they accused him of blasphemy and condemned him to death. So I hope that answers the question for you. Um, Jesus calling himself the son of man in a way is actually even more significant, especially for the Jewish listener than calling himself the son of God. So you're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We are coming up on the last five minutes of the show. We had one caller who said she didn't want to be on the air. And her name is Wani. She's calling from Byers. And here's what she said. She wanted to know, what should modern Christians do with the passages of Paul about head coverings and women not speaking in church? So it's really interesting. That comes from 1 Corinthians chapter, well, I'm not remembering the chapter right now. I can look it up. But it's coming from 1 Corinthians, those, those two parts. Now, what's really important for us as we remember a book like 1 Corinthians, we must remember that Paul is addressing a specific situation which we don't really know about. We can only infer things about that situation by listening to how he talks about that situation. And so what you see is that really when it comes to head coverings, this is a thing which spoke of authority. So in those in that culture, a woman who was married would wear a head covering. And a woman who was not would not wear a head covering. And so once you got married, you started wearing a head covering. That was a sign that you, were, uh, that you belonged to somebody in the sense of you were married to someone. Um, and in, in that sense, Paul used it in terms of authority, that you're under your, your husband's covering. And that's what that head covering represents. And so think about it in these terms. Think about how scandalous it would have been for a woman who was married to go around uh, dressed as if she was not married because that's what the dress insinuated. Um, by covering your head, you were communicating the fact that you were married. And so if you were to go around and especially show up at church with an uncovered head, in a way that would represent, first of all, that you are not under the covering of your husband. So that would be an insult to him. But it would also be an insult to him because you're essentially saying like, hey, I'm available. 
right? This would be, it's not a direct parallel, but it's kind of similar to the fact of, you know, um, showing up at church or showing up anywhere and removing your wedding ring. Like, why in the world would you do something like that? And so uh, that's, that's the thing with head coverings. I think we, we can't separate that from the cultural setting and situation. So I, I hope that answers your question. I know that we had a situation with that. We, we used to live in Hungary as missionaries, and we had a lot of questions about this. And actually, that practice is still held to in parts of Eastern Europe, where uh, women will begin covering their heads once they are married. And so it's a similar thing. So again, it gets to the point of, um, yeah, it's 1 Corinthians 11 now. It gets to the point of, what are you trying to say? Like, are you, are you going to church and trying to insinuate that you are uh, are available for other people, and he's saying that's that's absolutely wrong. We know that there were a lot of situations like that in the Corinthian church, where uh, sec- situations with morality and sexuality, where they were crossing some major lines, and they felt proud of themselves for their high levels of tolerating these sins. And Paul says you shouldn't be proud of yourselves for those things. Uh, you should be you should be repenting of those things and you should be calling people to accountability if they call themselves Christians and they're doing things like this. And so uh, I hope that answers that question. It was an issue of authority. It was a question of are you married or are you not? So you have been listening to Calvary Live. We are coming up on the last 60 seconds of our show. Thank you for tuning in today, wherever you tuned in from. Again, my name is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. If you're in the Longmont area, come check us out. Uh, Check us out online, whitefieldschurch.com. And you can find us at 700 Longs Peak Avenue in downtown Longmont at uh, Kaufman and Longs Peak in the St. Vrain Memorial Building every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. I'm going to be with you again tomorrow, and I'm looking forward to answering your calls and texts on the air. Again, thanks for tuning in, and God bless you. been listening to Calvary Live. Tune in next time for prayer and God's Word.